Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour One. Well, are you living in existential terror of white supremacy today? Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here across the nation from Atlanta, Georgia. The phone number 877-973-7425. You know, of, of course he said it. And despite his denial uh, that I'm not just saying this because I'm here at an HBCU, uh, of course, that's the reason Joe Biden said what he said. Racism has long torn us apart. It's a battle that's never really over. But on the best days, enough of us have the guts and the hearts to stand up for the best in us, to choose love over hate, unity over disunion, progress over retreat, to stand up against the poison of white supremacy as I did my inaugural address to a single out as the most dangerous terrorist threat to our homeland is white supremacy. And I'm not saying this because I'm at a black HBCU. I say wherever I go. Right. Well, you know what? The guy who backs him up, uh, Mayorkas, the Secretary of Homeland Security. The president yesterday uh, at his commencement address uh, for the Howard University graduates called white supremacy uh, uh, the, the major domestic terror threat in this country. Is that correct? Uh, it tragically is. You know, um, in the terrorism context, domestic violent extremism is uh, our greatest threat uh, right now. Individuals are driven to violence because of ideologies of hate. Uh, anti-government sentiments, false narratives, personal grievances, and the like. And regrettably, we have seen a rise in white supremacy. What is most interesting about Joe Biden saying that white supremacy is the greatest terrorist threat to the United States and uh, Secretary Mayorkas agreeing with him is that this weekend at the border, an Afghan on the terror watch list was caught sneaking across the border. Now, there are over 55,000 gotaways recently down the border. That is, uh, we know 55,000 people crossed and were not captured by Immigration Customs Enforcement. Thankfully, the Afghan terrorist was, but how many might have gotten across with him, we don't know about. And yet Joe Biden wants us to believe white supremacists are the greatest domestic terrorist threat in the United States. Actually, what the Department of Homeland Security said in its most recent report written in the last six months is that it is now the lone wolves with individual competing and conflicting ideologies of various grievances who are the greatest threat, not white supremacists, although they're in that, but also there are left-wing anarchist agitators as well. Uh, It's painting with a very, very broad brush to call them all white supremacists when many of them have grievances. There are environmental activists. There are white supremacists, to be sure. There are uh, anarchists, Antifa types, and the like. And what Homeland Security's data actually says is that the greatest threat now in this country domestically in terms of violence is not an organized white supremacy movement or even an organized environmental left-wing movement, although in the early 2000s, Homeland Security said they were the greatest domestic threat. What actually is are the individual lone wolves who have conflicting ideologies, various individuals who have now taken it upon themselves to act. Some of them, yes, 
to start race wars from the left or the right. You do have the shooter in Texas who did appear to have Nazi sympathies, though he was an illegal alien from Mexico. You had Dylan Roof in Charleston, South Carolina. No one disputes when he went into the AME church there and shot those people after they prayed with him that he wanted to start a race war. But there are plenty of others as well. We have uh, environmental terrorists. We have individual nuts like Audrey Hale in in, uh, Nashville. Of course, they won't release Audrey Hale's manifesto, but there was another transgender would-be shooter in Colorado, uh, communist-hated Christians. We know that. But the reality here is that the reason Joe Biden is bringing this up at Howard University, one of the HBCUs, Historic Black Colleges and Universities, is because the New York Times, the Washington Post, and several other outlets in the last couple of weeks have done stories about Joe Biden beginning to alienate black voters. They're kind of tired of him. Joe Biden won because of black women in South Carolina. He rewarded them by subjecting us all to cackles for his vice president. They've kind of gotten tired of her laugh, and they've gotten tired of his economy. And this is the problem for the Democrats. Um, So the Democrats misinterpreted 2022. I told you that was going to happen after 2022. I told you this would happen. Republicans who focused on the 2020 election Trump and culture war issues, they all lost. And Democrats misinterpreted all of that. They they misinterpreted it badly. Now, to some degree, they want to advance Trump-style candidates who still want to relitigate in 2023-24 a 2020 stolen election that wasn't, although they still claim it is, and you get hate mail if you tell them the truth. But the Democrats wish to advance a culture war fight against the right now. We will be called the culture warriors. You trust me on this. You and I will be attacked as culture warriors while it's the Democrats who will be running a culture war campaign on white supremacy, on defense of transgender athletes, on defense of you name it, on the left, on abortion rights. Here's the problem for the Democrats. They look at all of this. They see where Republicans were expected to do well, like in Michigan, where they went down in flames running culture war candidates. And the Democrats think, you know what? The voters are actually with us on trans issues in sports. I assure you the voters are not. They think the voters overall, including black voters, really do care mostly about white supremacy. The the Democrats are convinced that white supremacy and trans issues and abortion are going to get them the White House in 2024. They are convinced if they run a culture war campaign where they talk about uh, defending against white supremacy, allowing boys into the girls' locker room, and abortion on demand, that's going to get them uh, very far in 2024. They have completely misinterpreted what happened in 2022. The reality is Republicans did very well everywhere they focused on the economy and crime, and then took culture issues. By the way, 
uh, the polling on transgender sports is terrible for the Democrats. But the Democrats claim constantly that it's being misinterpreted. The data is being misinterpreted. They claim it's being misinterpreted because people are asked a question, uh, do you oppose hate against the transgender community? It's like 80% of the country says, yes, we do. Myself included, by the way. We should not hate the transgender community. These are people with deep, deep emotional mental issues. We should feel sorry for them, not hate them. But the Democrats interpret that poll question as, oh, the Republicans, they're saying that that uh, trans sports issues are on their side. No, we're going to run this. They're going to do so to their detriment, so let them do it. The polling is actually terrible for Democrats on this issue. I've seen a lot of the internal polling. I was briefed in Washington a, a week or so ago on some of the polling and how to talk about the issue and how people are talking about the issue. And what I can tell you is that the polling works terribly for Democrats you know, among women, white women, black women, liberal women, conservative women. None of them like the idea of their daughters having to compete for college scholarships against boys. None of them like the idea of girls having to have boys in their locker room. And yet Democrats, between the white supremacists and the trans issues, that's what they want to make their 2024 campaign about. And it's the best they can do if we're honest about it. Democrats can't run on the economy in 2024. Joe Biden is raising the white supremacy issue to Howard University because uh, the New York Times tells him black voters are starting to turn off to him. They're, they're not as engaged. They're not as mobile. They may not turn out. So he's like, well, he can't get them on the economy. Might as well scare them about white supremacists. I don't think it's going to work. This is Simone Sanders. She's uh, the, the not very bright uh, person who used to work for Kamala Harris on MSNBC. Now listen to this. If the Supreme Court decides that race-conscious decision-making and policies are unconstitutional, then everything from special government contracts and programs for minority-owned businesses to targeted corporate recruitment at HBCUs would all be in jeopardy. Medical institutions, they would need to figure out how to recruit a diverse workforce without incurring liability. Lawmakers, they could argue that specialized disciplines like African-American or Latin American history are race-conscious and therefore illegal. Like that, just just absolutely pay no attention to the logical arguments around what she's saying. If you want to have an African-American studies class, there's nothing illegal about that. You're allowed to teach classes like that. The, the problem will be if the Supreme Court says you can give scholarships based on race, and that's what they're scared about. That'll be a triggering event for the left. So they're trying in anticipation of the Supreme Court decision coming that may throw out affirmative action programs in colleges – they're trying to whip black voters into a fearful frenzy over white supremacy, and they're trying to get them to focus on that and ignore the fact that the economy sucks. Under Donald Trump, black men and women had higher employment than in any other time in American history. The unemployment rate for black men and women was the lowest it had ever been under Donald Trump, and now it's through the roof. The unemployment rate overall in this country is very good. It's very low. But for black men and women, it's not that good. Joe Biden is hurting the black community. He wants them to no longer have their gas stoves. He wants them to no longer be able to drive in an internal combustion engine car, but spend lavishly on battery-powered cars they do not want. He wants them eating bugs and living in cities. 
By the way, CBS News had another story this weekend about how we need to work bugs into our diet. The, the, the climate change alarmists really are headed that way, including people within the Biden administration. Black voters are turning off on Joe Biden, not because he's not doing enough to fight white supremacy. It's because he's spending his time talking about white supremacy, a problem they aren't regularly afflicted by, while ignoring their jobs, while ignoring their schools, while ignoring the crime in their communities. The problem with black voters and Joe Biden, if you bother to read the data, is that they are turned off on him because they feel like their lives have been degraded under his administration. And he can't accept the blame for it and say, my bad, we'll do something different. No, so he's got to say it's it's the systemic racism. It's the white supremacy. That's the problem, except the problem is they see him in charge. He's in charge. Joe Biden for 50 years has been making some pretty brazenly racist comments for him to come out and be upset about white supremacy as a man who said Barack Obama was what clean and articulate or whatever the way he put it talking about using accents in in 7-Elevens in Delaware and the like Joe Biden has a history of saying some pretty racist things his son too in his text messages said some pretty racist things. And Joe Biden wants you to think the evil is Donald Trump and the Republicans and the white supremacists as opposed to him and his economy and the crime wave coming about because of Democratic policies. If this is Joe Biden's message for the next year, as the economy heads into recession, it's going to be great for the GOP no matter who the nominee is. Some will have an easier time. I think Trump will have a more difficult time. But it doesn't mean he can't win. If Joe Biden is so completely off message, focused on racial issues and culture war issues from the left, abortion, trans sports, and uh, white supremacy, and ignores the economy, and ignores crime, and ignores education, I mean, he might as well go on and start working on his letter of defeat and his concession speech because he ain't going to win if he does that. Good. I keep having friends tell me they realized I was right. Every time you wash sheets from Bowling Branch, they get softer and softer. They're the most luxurious sheets. The highest quality, incredible craftsmanship with just unmatched softness. 100% traceable organic cotton. It gets softer with every wash. I tell you guys that it's true. I can tell you it's a big difference. And I have bought different pairs of sheets to try to find some best. I keep coming back to my Bowling Branch sheets. They're incredible. They're buttery to the touch, super breathable. They're perfect for cooler weather and warmer weather. Why the drape? You actually feel like you've got something, a substance on you so you can snuggle in, but you don't get overwhelmingly hot during the during the summertime, and it's just the perfect weight under the blanket as well during the wintertime. I love Bowling Branch sheets. They're so luxurious. They're loved by four U.S. presidents. Got over 10,000 raving reviews. Right now, get 50% off your first order when you use promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at BowlingBranch.com. That's Bowling Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. The promo code is ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. If you would like to call in and be a part of the program, 877-973-7425, happy to have you in Texas. This is, keep your eye on the story. Governor Greg Abbott in Texas uh, came out swinging in favor of school choice this legislative session. Now, the Democrats in Texas conspired with moderate Republicans there to get a moderate Republican House Speaker who has been working to scuttle 
their school choice program, and the governor has come out threatened to veto a weakened House version, demanding a strong version, putting pressure on Republicans there to go along with the school choice measure. This is becoming a civil rights issue for Republicans. More and more black parents around the nation are saying they support school choice. They like the access. They like the uh, what it gives to their students. They like the opportunities it provides to their children to be able to get a better education. Uh, yes, we recognize some kids will be left behind in public schools whose parents uh, can't get them to private schools, but that doesn't mean we should leave everyone behind in failing public schools. Greg Abbott gets this and is picking a fight with the Texas House of Representatives over this issue. Now, those of you listening in Texas know there are a lot of you out there. Uh, you probably want to call your state representative and, and tell them to support strong school choice reforms. The version that was in the Texas Senate far better than the version that was in the Texas House, and a lot of activists now going over there. For those who are around the country, though, in Republican states, this is a huge, huge issue that I don't know that many Republicans understand. In Georgia, where I am, it was rural Republicans who sabotaged the effort, and from what I'm hearing, the urban and suburban Republicans are largely in agreement that if the rural Republicans in Georgia— do not now support school choice. It's It's been tabled in the House. They revived it at the very last minute, so it's not completely dead. It can be up for a vote. And I'm hearing more and more Republicans in the state legislature in Georgia say if the rural Republicans in Georgia do not get on board school choice, they will get nothing this coming legislative session. Uh, the deal apparently was urban-suburban Republicans would agree to increase the weights of trucks that can drive on rural roads in Georgia in exchange for school choice. And the rural Republicans stabbed them in the back after they got what they wanted. And there will be held to pay if they don't come along with it. Around the country, this is a fight worth having. Now, let's talk about a cell phone service worth having. That's Patriot Mobile. If you go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric today, patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K, you can get Patriot Mobile service. They are the only Christian conservative a cell phone provider in the country. They do a fantastic job uh, providing cell phone service. You get guaranteed great coverage at Patriot Mobile. I'm on their website right now. You can click up at the top, the check coverage link. You put in your address. Um, so I'm doing it right now. I'm putting in my office and I put in the zip code 31201 and click the check button, and yes, it is covered. I get the little pop-up, and it shows me, zooms in how good the coverage is. All you got to do is go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric today. Get their guaranteed great coverage. They take a portion of their profits. They contribute to the conservative movement. Patriotmobile.com slash Eric, or you can call them 972-PATRIOT. 972-PATRIOT. Tell them I sent you. Get free activation. Do business with a company that shares your values. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. You can call in if you like, 877-973-7425. Let's go to Bob on the phone. Welcome to the show, Bob. Uh, good afternoon, Eric. How you doing? Good, how are you? Pretty good. I was listening to about school choice. Um, one, our, uh, one thing I heard was that some are objecting to it because they think it's going to hurt the public school system. Well, my comment is, if it does, it's because the public school system isn't delivering what the parents want. And that it, if they are earnest about providing a public education, 
then those school systems could reassess what are they doing wrong, what aren't they providing to satisfy the parents, and it may offer incentives for the public school system to actually improve what they're doing to be competitive with school choice. Yeah, look, I agree with you. Um, it, it it does provide incentives. And, you know, if you go back to the 1950s, there's this uh, revisionist history taking place on the left, Bob, where they're claiming uh, one of the pioneers for the idea of school choice was Milton Freeman, uh, the free market economist. And they claim Milton Freeman wanted it uh, to keep schools from being desegregated. That's actually the argument that they're making, and it's actually the exact opposite of that. In the 1950s and 60s, uh, particularly in the 1950s, after Brown versus Board of Education, uh, the Supreme Court desegregated public schools, and Milton Friedman came up with the idea of providing school choice, allowing black families out of public schools into private schools because he believed that if you provided school choice and allowed parents options – it would get people past the uh, non-desegregated schools. It would allow black parents to get their kids good educations while getting them out of their failing schools that the Virginia refused to desegregate. Uh, it was all about uh, desegregation. It was all about giving black parents a good way out of failing schools at the time. And the left has now twisted that and say, well, he wanted it to, to maintain segregation. Not true at all. It's actually exactly the opposite. I mean, there's this is not like made-up history. This is actually documented history. They've just decided to lie about it. Friedman's argument was that it would provide competition and that black kids would be able to go to schools where they were provided for in a way that uh, they were funded and black parents were engaged. Their children could get educations as good as the white kids' public schools, and it would ultimately force the state of Virginia to provide uh, equal schooling for black and white kids. That was his entire argument. To this day, the argument stands. You allow school choice while not every kid gets out of the failing public school. Those who can do, they get better educations. We should not be holding back kids who can get out because some kids can't. We should be allowing those who can to get out and get the best education possible. And Republicans around the country need to understand that. Now, I'm going to switch gears. I I gotta I gotta I gotta read you some headlines. We need to talk about Daniel Penny. Want to read you some headlines? Daniel Penny is charged with second degree manslaughter and the death of Jordan Neely from NPR. From the New York Times, conservative support surges for Daniel Penny after killing of Jordan Neely. From the Washington Post, Daniel Penny becomes hero for conservatives, DeSantis, after killing Jordan Neely on subway. From Forbes, Daniel Penny raises $1.5 million for defense after charges in New York City subway chokehold death. From NBC News, Daniel Penny freed on bail and Jordan Neely chokehold death. Family wants murder charges. From the Independent, people are embracing Daniel Penny. It's eerily familiar. 
from the Washington Post, before Daniel Penny, Bernie Getz shot four black men on New York City subway. And on and on it goes. You'd be forgiven for thinking that Daniel Penny was a random murderer on a New York City subway. One of the headlines I saw earlier was that uh, Daniel Penny surrendered to police in murder of train passenger. Daniel Penny is a 24-year-old Marine veteran. He's been charged with second-degree manslaughter in New York City for putting Jordan Neely in a chokehold. It was a maneuver that all Marines are trained in. In fact, the video shows that Daniel Penny put Jordan Neely in the chokehold and then turned him on his side to try to help Jordan Neely recover from the maneuver and not choke on his saliva. Let me give you some data, and of all places, this comes from David French, who many conservatives consider anathema now, and he's writing uh, this column in the New York Times essentially saying that New York City failed Jordan Neely, not Daniel Perry or Daniel Penny. In 2022, subway crime rose by 30% in New York. Then there's the case of Jordan Neely. Who was he? He wasn't, yes, he's a victim, but he's also not the good guy in the story. He had been arrested more than three dozen times, 44 times to be precise, largely for minor transgressions, but in four cases for punching people twice in the subway. He was on a list maintained by the city of the 50 homeless people in greatest need of urgent assistance. In November of 2021, Jordan Neely punched and seriously injured a 67-year-old woman as she exited the subway. He spent 15 months in jail while the case awaited resolution, but was not sentenced to prison. Instead, he was sentenced to a treatment facility for 15 months where he had to stay and stay drug-free. He left after 13 days. A warrant was issued for his arrest. Despite multiple encounters afterwards with outreach officials and police, he was not taken back into custody. He never should have been on the train that day. Not only that, while he was there, he was reportedly aggressive and menacing. A witness on the train the day he died said Jordan Neely was yelling, I don't have food, I don't have a drink, I'm fed up. I don't mind going to jail and getting life in prison. I'm ready to die. Daniel Penny is an American Marine veteran. 24 years old. With the help of another individual, he restrained Jordan Neely, put him in a chokehold, and then turned Jordan Neely on his side. Neely died. We don't know of a toxicology report yet. Wouldn't be surprised to learn there were things in his system. The left has rushed out to make Daniel Penny the bad guy. The right has rushed out to make him the hero. The right is right in this case. What's so disturbing about this entire situation are the number of people on the left who have said in large part, you should expect to be assaulted on the subway by crazy homeless people. It comes with the territory. 
The left is allowing their cities to collapse. The left has given up on their cities. They live there. They want us all to live there. They want us out of our cars into public transportation. And they think that we should accept a lowering of standards to do so. The people who want us to eat bugs want us to be on the subways getting assaulted by homeless people all in the name of saving the planet. Jordan Neely was charged 44 different times, and he should not have been on that train. He should have been in a mental treatment facility. And no one bothered to enforce the law. The reason Jordan Neely died is because good people like Daniel Penny decided he needed to step in to protect people on the subway train when law enforcement wasn't. The rule of law has collapsed in New York City. Crime on subways is up 30%. And now what the state of New York and the city of New York City have done is said, if you try to protect yourself or others... You're going to be the one to go to jail, not the bad guy, not the guy assaulting people, not the guy attacking people, not the guy punching people, not the guy uh, sexually harassing people on the subway system, but you for defending your fellow passengers. You're the one who's going to be in trouble. The good guy goes to jail and the bad guy gets away with it, except in this case, of course, the bad guy died. But Daniel Penny didn't set out to murder him. He set out to protect his fellow passengers. In fact, the family of Jordan Ely, who did nothing for Jordan Ely, nothing. They now want murder charges against uh, Daniel Penny. You got to have a, a malice aforethought, a, intent to kill. He didn't have that. You can't charge him with murder. Under New York state law, you got to prove beyond a reasonable doubt Penny recklessly caused Neely's death. A person is deemed to act recklessly when he, quote, engages in conduct which creates or contribute to a substantial and unjustifiable risk that another person's death will occur. He can defend himself with justification if he had to use, if it was necessary to defend himself or a third person from what he reasonably believes was the use or imminent use of unlawful physical force by another person. Considering Jordan Neely's 44 prior arrests, his behavior on the train that day, saying he was ready to die, his uh, provocative behavior, Penny's got a good defense. The question is how long he kept Jordan Neely in the chokehold. Was it necessary if Jordan Neely had substances in his body, of course, that could have kept him going. But the idea that, that uh, Daniel Penny is a bad guy, the left is out to make this man some sort of racist. They're out to condemn him. They want the death penalty for the dude. He was protecting his passengers, his fellow passengers. And all of the people who say that Daniel Penny shouldn't have been able to do it differently, should have not been able to have as much risk, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. None of these people have ever gotten on a subway and tried to protect anyone from a homeless man who was acting nuts and intended appears on assaulting people. Daniel Penny protected people, and he's the bad guy. By the way, this is different from the Kyle Rittenhouse situation. The left has said, oh, this is just like Kyle Rittenhouse. No, no, no. Rittenhouse... While I think the jury got it right and he was found not guilty, Rittenhouse went to get into that situation. All Daniel Penny tried to do was take a subway ride. 
and it is a failure of progressive policies that Jordan Neely was out of his rehab facility. It is a failure of progressive policies that he was allowed to continue to be in the subway system. It is a failure of New York's policies that it was Daniel Penny who had to protect his fellow passengers because the New York subway police weren't there to do anything about it and had let this situation fester. The number of stories of people who have come forward talking about the harassment they've had, women who have had men perform sex acts in front of them, drop their pants in front of them, people who have been assaulted, people who have been mugged, people who have been shoved and nearly thrown into the railroad tracks by crazy homeless people in New York. And the left says, well, that's just the cost of doing business in New York. Putting your life on the line should not be the cost of just living the subway system in New York. Daniel Penny is not the bad guy in the story. The bad guy is the state of New York that failed not just Jordan Neely, but everyone else and provoked Daniel Penny to have to protect his fellow passengers along with the help of other people on the train. And it's a damning indictment on the political left in this country that they look at this situation and their conclusion is that Daniel Penny murdered Jordan Neely and you should just have to put up with the homeless people on the subway because that's what they do. They look at the people pooping on the streets and shooting up heroin in San Francisco and do not see a failed city there either. The left does not understand any sort of failure except successful people living the American dream. If you're a successful person who have lived the American dream and done well in life, you're the bad guy to the left. But if you're the bad guy assaulting people on the subway, pooping in the street, shooting up heroin, somehow you're a victim of systemic racism. Maybe if the left was not intent on defining deviancy as normal and normal as deviancy, we wouldn't be in the situation, but because that's what they do, we are. And now what they're doing is they're disincentivizing people from protecting themselves and others. The good Samaritans are the people who go to jail now in New York City. Now, there's no way to transition from that to this, but I got to tell you about Advantage Gold. If you're interested in dealing with stock market and precious metals as part of your portfolio, you should reach out to Advantage Gold. 800-450-2566 is their number. They're TrustLink's number one highest rated gold company, seven years in a row. If you're interested at all in using gold or silver or other precious metals for your IRA, your 401k, or even your general investment strategies, Advantage Gold can help you. 800-450-2566. If you call them at 800-450-2566, they will send you a free gold IRA investment kit that tells you what you need to know about using precious metals as part of your portfolio. The IRS has rules that govern using precious metals, how you keep them, where you deposit them, how you can't commingle them. Uh, Advantage Gold can set you straight with that. They just play it straight. They give you great advice, and they can help you buy actual physical gold and silver for your portfolio. 800-450-2566. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425. Why is it? Why is it that uh, you go off for the weekend, you're playing golf with your friends, and your best round is when you're by yourself? I, I actually had one great shot. I put it on Instagram. It wasn't my my first shot. It was my second, and I was on a par four, and I came within an inch of the hole. And it didn't go. I it would have it would have been fantastic, but that was with a buddy. But then 
my gosh, I was doing so much better by myself this weekend, and there's no one there. It's not worth even telling you. You wouldn't believe how awesome it was, though. There's no hole in one. Never done that. Not going to try to claim that. But it was it was nice to get away. Now, we got to talk about DeSantis and Trump. Um, there was an interesting moment this past week. Donald Trump had an event scheduled in Iowa on Friday. Or Saturday, rather. Saturday. And the weather was horrible in Iowa. There were tornadoes and the like. Donald Trump canceled his campaign stop in Iowa. There was a rumor spread by Republicans there that he canceled it because the crowd side was too small. But in in fairness to the president, uh, there were thunderstorms, severe weather, tornadoes in the area. Made sense for him probably to to cancel it because it was going to be an outdoor event. DeSantis was in Iowa as well. He was not in uh, Des Moines, he was in Cedar Rapids. Uh, there is a large conservative uh, e- environment in Cedar Rapids, Iowa now. Uh, Christian evangelicals, among others, he's trying to woo, trying to take advantage of Donald Trump, uh, waffling on some of his abortion statements. And But when DeSantis found out that Trump canceled his event in Des Moines, DeSantis showed up in Des Moines, went to a local uh, popular barbecue spot very near where the Trump event was supposed to be. And in fact, a lot of people who were going to go to the event uh, and had headed that way before it was canceled, they wound up going to this barbecue joint. So there was DeSantis to meet them all. I will tell you, every reporter who has spoken to me about DeSantis on the campaign trail in Iowa and New Hampshire has said something notable, that he takes his wife, uh, Casey DeSantis, with him, and that she is a rock star in her own light and makes DeSantis come across as a more engaging with the crowd. Uh, the other interesting thing is that a majority of the Republican legislators in Iowa and New Hampshire have come out and endorsed DeSantis in the run-up to his announcement, which will be coming imminently. When we come back, the spending disparity between DeSantis and Trump is pretty telling, and it probably should be a wake-up call for conservatives out there.